Welcome to Mind the Owner's Manual. I'm your host, Lawrence Castilla. This podcast is dedicated to shedding light on the topic of meditation. Please visit the website mindtheownersmanual.com for further information about this podcast or if you're interested in starting a meditation practice. Joining me today is George Boyd, the founder of the Mudra Ashram Institute of Spiritual Studies. George is a master meditation teacher, a prolific author who has published more than 20 books, and he is an innovator in the field of meditation. I first learned of George's work and took his master course in meditation in 1984 when I was 16 years old. By age 16, I had already taken initiation or sat with a number of different teachers and groups in the Los Angeles area, including Krishnamurti, Ramdas, Guru Mai Chidvilsananda of Siddhi Yoga, Guru Moraji Prempal Rawat, the Dalai Lama from whom I took the Kala Chakra initiation in 1984, and Christian New Thought groups like the Church of Religious Science and Unity, all of which fueled my lifelong focus and interest on spirituality and meditation. This podcast is part of the Mudra Ashram Maps of Consciousness series, and this is a series of question and answer sessions that George and I began recording in 2011. Welcome, George. Well, thank you, Lawrence. And uh, for people who don't know you, you're the founder of the Mudrashram Institute of Spiritual Studies, and you've developed the most comprehensive map of consciousness and the most sophisticated system of meditation that I've encountered in over 35 years of spiritual study. And in this podcast, I want to explore this map, which in your work you call the Continuum of Consciousness. And I also want to explore the nature of consciousness. In other words, what is consciousness? Now, the map or continuum of consciousness has four primary areas, which are the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, the metaconscious mind, and the superconscious mind. And you've mapped out each of these areas very extensively. And you've also laid down a system for exploring every mapped level of consciousness through meditation. Now, the apparent base or foundation of this tower of consciousness begins with the conscious mind and is a state of consciousness called the waking state or our waking state, which you describe as basic identification with the body and orientation to the environment. The center you associate with this state of consciousness as a reference point is the medulla, which you describe as, quote, the seat of the attention in the waking state of consciousness. When your attention is fully collected in this center, you are aware of now. This is the state of mindfulness when you are alert and fully present. It is the ground state of attention. Question, is this waking state where consciousness begins? Does this waking state kick in when we wake up in the morning? And does the conscious mind essentially go to sleep when we are asleep? 
And would you like to take a moment to define exactly what consciousness is? Typically what happens is that when you are in a sleep or a sound sleep state, your attention moves out of this waking state of consciousness. So sometimes it might move into an area of your subconscious mind and you're having experiences from your life. Sometimes when you go deeper, you might actually travel onto some level of what we call the astral plane and you might have experiences at that level. Sound sleep, sometimes you're attention will become associated with what we call the causal body, the aspect of your nature that is responsible for fixing memories in long-term storage, integrating the experiences of your day. Now, we can define consciousness from many different contexts. So, for example, if you consider a human being is the physical body, then you're going to be looking for consciousness either in the cells of that body or in the nervous system, the firing of nerves, the activity of the nervous system. If you go down a little deeper, you're going to say, well, consciousness is somehow a phenomena of the subatomic field. And if you go down deeper, you can attribute it to something taking place in what we call the information ether, it's the flow of information, the active processing of information. You can look at the resonance ether, where consciousness seems to be the present time through which the soul expresses. On the life force ether, it appears to be tied to the activity of what we call the etheric body. So you can extrapolate that on up depending on your viewpoint. But what we hold in Mudra Ashram is we go to the core of that and we say there are three conscious entities. The first conscious entity is what we call the attentional principle. The second is what we call the spirit. And the third is what we call the soul. And these are the carriers of the universal consciousness from which these essences derive. So we say that the spirit is a spark of the divine, which is the ocean of all consciousness. Attentional principle comes from a stage we call the infinite stage up on the seventh transcendental path. And the soul is the carrier of the divine consciousness for the realm in which it dwells. And so when it merges into its origin, it merges into the state of all consciousness. So behind all phenomena is this ocean of consciousness. And that's the ultimate derivation of what we call consciousness. So the conscious mind, and specifically the waking state of consciousness, how would you describe that in relation to these three essences? Yeah, the immortal essences of consciousness, the, the carriers of consciousness, the attentional principle, so these the spirit, and the soul. So these three immortal essences these are the carriers of consciousness. When we talk about the conscious mind, though, it sounds like in relation to other terms that people use the subconscious or the unconscious, that this is like the genuine real state of consciousness. This is the real state of consciousness that all others should be judged by is kind of my, my impression. Is, is that kind of an incorrect view? 
Well, we call it the conscious mind because it includes your experience in the present time. The time frame of the conscious mind is the present, is now. So when you're meditating on the centers of the conscious mind, you become aware of what you are experiencing in the present time. So if you're in the waking state of consciousness, you're aware of what's in the environment around you, you know, what you're doing in the environment. If you start to abstract from that level, you move off the waking state of consciousness and begin following the thread of consciousness, as we call it, with your attention. Then you become aware of the content of, I want to say, these other centers in the conscious mind. And when you're focused on them, you become aware of what's coming up in this present moment. So the Buddhists refer to a term that they call impermanence. And when you're meditating in the conscious mind, let's say you're meditating on your feeling center, you notice that feelings arise and then they pass away. And this is a continuous process going on. So the conscious mind is the aspect of our mind which is closest to what we actually experience in our life and in our environment. And this is the form of, this is the level of the mind that most people experience. A lot of people never go out of their conscious mind. So you mentioned the feeling center. I think I should go through the other centers. So in addition to the waking state of awareness, which you call the ground state of attention, you've identified eight additional states of awareness that collectively make up this conscious mind as you have mapped it. So I, I want to go through those. And these are present time awareness. And I'm going to quote here from your writing, which is awareness of the current unfolding moment of time as your life. And you use the point between the eyebrows as a point of reference. Mm -hmm. Now, each state of consciousness that you've mapped is associated with a certain reference point, I guess, of reflection in the physical body. I'm not going to go through each one of those. Uh, I suppose we'll touch on these reference points at another time. So following present time awareness, you have sensory awareness, which is awareness of the external environment through the five senses. Next is body awareness which is awareness of the present time experience of the physical body. Next, you have feeling or emotional awareness, which is the awareness of present time emotions. Next, you have reason or thinking awareness, which is the awareness of uh, behavior, repertoire, analogical reasoning, deductive reasoning. Uh, next, you have ego awareness, the ego being the integrating center of the conscious mind. And as a side note to the listeners, uh, George and I already dedicated an entire podcast to the ego and its various postures. Uh, next, we have pre-conscious awareness, which is awareness of ideas, memories, images, and impressions arising from the subconscious mind. And finally, you have the gate of the subconscious, also called the ethereal veil, which keeps the attention within the sphere of the conscious mind. So you've stated, George, that basically most people in their normal day-to-day -day lives, they're focused on their thoughts, their feelings, and the various postures of the ego. In other words, they're, they're remaining within the confines of the conscious mind. That's correct. What is this gate or ethereal veil between the subconscious and the conscious mind keeping out? Well, 
basically, if you open this gateway, you're bringing in energies from the subconscious, metaconscious, and higher mind. So if you leave it open, there is some chance that your attention might be caught up and you your attention abstracts into yet higher levels of the mind. And you're no longer grounded. You're no longer focused. You're really in a state of trance or deep meditation when you do that. So when we go up in meditation, we have you open the door and go whatever have experience you're having in the higher levels of the mind. And then we have you come back and close the door behind you when you come back down. Close the doors from these higher aspects of mind and return to the conscious mind. Yeah. So it's the gateway that, that leads you to the subconscious mind. You've said that the conscious mind is present time oriented. You have the ego as the integration center of the conscious mind. So is it fair to say that essentially people's attention is bouncing around the conscious mind, kind of like a fly trapped in a glass case, only thinking about the present? And there's really very little chance that the fly is going to fly out and travel into higher states of mind. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. But most people keep their attention in the waking state of consciousness. Now, when you have your attention in the waking state of consciousness, all of the elements that make up the conscious mind are working in the background. So you don't necessarily have to go up and contemplate the exact experience of what it is like for, you know, the light in the room to be processed by your sensory center. You don't have to go up and monitor your feelings. You stay in the waking state of consciousness, and these are activated in the background. The way you get out of the conscious mind is you have to move your attention through all these centers of the conscious mind and then move through that doorway, which will bring you into the subconscious mind. So it doesn't really bounce around per se, and most people don't bounce around unless you know, you're having like a real deep experience like you're getting a massage or something and you're feeling the deep sensations inside your body or you're doing psychotherapy and the psychotherapist i want you to focus on your feelings that are coming up right now or you're solving a puzzle trying to you know put together a technical object or something that you have to do a lot of fine analysis well then you might be abstracted up into your mental center and again, if you're deeply thinking about your life, you're doing introspection, you're saying, you know, what's really important to me, I have these different areas of my life, you know, what do I really want to achieve in these different areas of my life? What is it I really want? Then you might be abstracted up into the ego. But for the most part, the attention is going to stay in the waking state of consciousness. And all these centers are going to operate in the background. Now, there was a gentleman by the name of Arthur Dykeman who said that when people meditate, they de-automatize the action of consciousness. So instead of everything working seamlessly in the background and you just are experiencing, okay, I'm having a reaction to that. I'm aware of it in my waking state of consciousness. I'm not focused on that center where I'm actually sensing the energy of that feeling arising and then passing away, and then the next one coming up. That's the difference between the waking state of consciousness and actually meditating, contemplating these different centers of the conscious mind, where you get it, where you're getting a deeper experience of the of that. So it's happening in the background. You're where you have the feelings, but you're not fully absorbed in them.
I see. So it's background noise. It's almost like you're listening to music, but let's say you were listening to classical music and all of a sudden there's a really strong string element and you say, oh, there's the strings. But yeah. otherwise, you know, you know, it's just kind of all homogenous per se. You know, it's not like you're, you're, you're focused specifically on the emotions or the thoughts or the senses unless there's a loud noise and all of a sudden, oh, I hear something loud. Yeah. There's a bright light. You know, say, oh, I'm seeing a bright light. So it's kind of just like if there's stimulus, you're going to react to it. But otherwise, it just kind of all blends into a type of experience that we call normal waking state or our normal yeah. waking state, meaning this is norm- normal. Uh, everything's good. We're good to go. I need to go shopping. I need to go to work. I need to get ready for bed. And and when I check in, everything is working, basically. You know, no, no, nothing is drawing my attention in a way that it needs to get addressed. Something specific needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think it's a good way to describe the experience. So to go back to Dykeman, Arthur Dykeman, he said that when you're in this waking state of conscious, everything is operating together. It's like all the modules are contributing together to give you your experience in this waking state of awareness. When you meditate, you isolate each module. So you become aware of what you mentioned as the present time. Today, we typically refer to this center as your awareness of body position and movement. I think it's a little more accurate to say what you're actually experiencing. And as you meditate on that, it does give you the sense of the continuity of your life you know, your, your movement that you're making being the enactment of your life. And as you, so you become aware of each of these centers specifically in what they're doing. You become, you gain heightened sensitivity of your, of your five senses. You gain heightened sensitivity, what's going on inside your body. I mean, when you're focused at that level, you can actually feel peristalsis. You can feel your heart beating. You can feel your lungs expand. You can feel what's going on in your internal organs, your muscles, your connective tissue. Same thing with the level of feelings. You're aware of the feelings that are rising and the memories that are coming up. And at the mental center, you may be aware of what we call behavioral command. You may become aware of the thoughts that are where you an- analogize, you create a metaphor for your experience your logical circuits. And then at the core of that, what we call your ability to test reality, to make a decision about what is real, what's not. So when you're in the waking state, you're not aware of these specifically as modules or activities within consciousness. You're aware of all of them working together seamlessly. That's why we say you're fully automatized when you're in the waking state of consciousness. And when you're meditating, you're de-automatized because you're focused on individual units of the conscious mind, whatever your attention is focused on. I see. So that that uh, brings to mind mindfulness practice, Buddhist mindfulness practice or, or Vipassana meditation, where it sounds like they're actually taking apart the conscious mind and they're looking at the thoughts in the present moment or they're looking at the emotions in the present moment or they're focused on the breath in the present moment. How is that helpful, you know, as a meditator to focus on these different aspects of the conscious mind? And is that indeed what they're doing? Well, the first step in meditation is collecting attention at the waking state of consciousness. 
So you can imagine your attention is spread out in the room. And so you do some type of a practice watching your breath. We use a, in our tradition, we use a little sniff breath. We call the Hansa breath. Maybe just actively concentrate it, visualizing you're bringing it into a sphere or a ball. That's where it begins. And when you're attention is fully collected and you're present, that's a state of mindfulness. Now, the next step of that is that then you apply that to something. You monitor some level of your mind. So you do walking meditation, and that's where you're monitoring this body position and movement. You can also have a heightened experience of your senses by focusing on that center, by monitoring what you're experiencing in the present time. You can process what's going on inside your body in the present time. You can focus on your feelings in the present time and just notice what arises and passes away, arises and passes away. So this is the nature of your experience in the conscious mind or the thoughts that are arising and passing away or what your ego is processing. We say the ego has a variety of I am statements. You know, I am a, I am a parent. You know, I am a businessman. I am a member of a walking club. I am a uh, rock collector. So the ego is thinking about in the present time. It's processing, well, what am I doing in this area of my life? What do I need to change? What do I need to augment? You know, maybe you're thinking about your finances and your ego is thinking about, well, what do I do to make sure that, you know, I'm getting sufficient income this month? What do I need to change or tweak or, you know, what are some other things I might do? So this process of Vipassana, as it's experienced in the conscious mind, is basically just a monitoring of what's arising in this present time. And so you have to focus at that level. You focus at that level and you notice what's coming up. The, I want to say the practices of mindfulness and Vipassana, as they are traditionally taught to Westerners, typically don't take people out of that zone of the conscious mind. But it does give you the impression that what we think of as a permanent, stable structure is really a continuous, impermanent flow. And so that's the thing that you get from doing these initial stages of meditation. And again, Vipassana can be taken up into higher levels as well, to the point where you're actually meditating on, you know, you're meditating way up on a super cosmic path. But you start the process by learning it in this conscious mind. Would the goal then be to become aware of these impermanent aspects and kind of wake up to the realization that, oh, I thought I was a continuous being, but no, things are changing constantly. My thoughts are changing constantly. My feelings, I can process through them. So then when they see that these are impermanent, then that creates contrast. I would think evokes further inquiry or exploration to find something that is permanent, to explore that idea of permanence further, because obviously we like to think of ourselves as basically permanent, not impermanent. Now, what I can say in most Buddhist systems, 
they do not focus the attention on what we call integration centers, except perhaps for the, we call the heart mind or the super cosmic seed atom that is on a Buddhist path. So the meditations will typically skip over the ego in some cases, or they'll skip over the self, or they'll skip over the soul. And instead they will focus the attention on a seed atom on a super cosmic path. And they will describe that in great detail about what the experience is. And then people come to identify with that and they take that viewpoint. And then from that viewpoint, they begin processing, transforming and moving closer to whatever they see on the inner horizon. Are they using Vipassana in that process? We talk about several different levels of Vipassana. So the first layer of Vipassana operates in the conscious mind. Now, if you process through all of the material that's coming up, most people experience what we call a breakthrough experience. You basically move through that band of the mind and all of a sudden your attention just kind of pops up to a new level. What we see happening is that typically when you process in the conscious mind, your attention is going to pop up and it's going to enter this stage of consciousness we refer to as being. So there's the self, which is the core of the personality. It's the active form of the self. And then we have being, which is the passive form of the self. And this is where you have a sense that you're one with everything around you. You're in a state of peace. And so you spend time in that state of consciousness. And then you may have another breakthrough experience, which will lead you up to a center in the abstract mind plane, which is where you become aware of the present time where there's an interface between the higher self or soul and human life. So this is where the thoughts, the intentions, the guidance of the soul come onto this particular center. And in many new age groups, many new thought groups, they look to this center as a state of enlightenment because you're in touch with the soul. You're aware of the soul's thoughts. You're aware of this creative power, which is activated within you. Now, if you continue that process and process this level, you may even move up to a higher level where you're aware of the great void of what we call nirvana in the Western tradition, the great void beyond where the soul was born. And then if you continue to process, you will come up into the awareness of the supercosmic seed atom of that Buddhist path. And then you're doing your process at that level. And this is a level where you gain a sense of identity. This is where you sense that, okay, you know, I am this wayfarer upon the path and that, you know, as I continue this process, I move closer to the source. Eventually I'm going to merge into the origin. I'm going to experience this state of Buddhahood. So I think people have kind of two viewpoints on how spiritual unfoldment happens. One would be that you bring your waking state or your ego with you. You bring the, you're traveling in the conscious mind. Not much is going to change. We've identified ourselves so much with the various postures of the ego 
with our normal waking state, with our emotions, with our thoughts, etc. That we say, well, this is who I am and I'm going to heaven as I am basically, or I'm going to nirvana as I am. Not much is going to change. I'm just going to be bigger and better. And then I'd say another point of view is that we're going to drop the ego completely. And not only that, but the ego actually dies at death. So it's not permanent. And our real state of being is one far beyond what we experience as this conscious mind, as this ego. Well, you've talked about two different perspectives. One of the things that happens when you identify with your ego is you essentially become the center of your universe. So everything is referred to, well, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? If there's something like a God, well, then he has to fulfill my desires. You know, if I follow what he tells me to do, then he's going to take me to heaven or I'm going to experience some heavenly state. Now, in the other perspective, we talk about ego death, destroying the ego. I've done a lot of writing on this subject. But what happens is typically people are taught to keep their attention in an altered state of consciousness. This might be identifying with the soul in the planetary realm and keeping your attention in union with that essence. You're talking about as an approach to meditation. Yes. Okay. Okay. They might identify with a center we call a nucleus of identity, which is a basically it's an integration center in the superconscious mind. So they might focus on what we call the moon soul, Christ child or Christ consciousness, which is prevalent in your Jewish and Christian religions. They might learn to focus their attention and identify with what we call cosmic consciousness, which is the form of identification, the integration center we find in the first cosmic initiation. They might identify with the seed atom on the supercosmic path, or they might identify with the spirit on a transcendental path. And so when you keep your attention in these altered states of consciousness, several things can happen. It doesn't happen for everybody, but for many people that keep their attention, one of the first things you start experiencing we call dissociation. That means you're no longer feeling your feelings. You're no longer really having the experience of your human life anymore. You're having a higher order experience. Mm -hmm. You're focused on what your spirit is experiencing. You're focused on what's coming up in this present time on this super cosmic path. The next thing that you often see is what we call derealization. And this is an experience that the world is unreal. You might also experience depersonalization. This is where you feel like your life and your, and your ego embedded in your life and the self is unreal. If you're totally focused on developing yourself at this higher level, you might lose any desire to do anything in the world. This is what we call demotivation. And sometimes what you experience is you also experience a complete numbing, a deadening of your emotion. So you don't feel anything at all. And then at the deepest stage of this, when this dysfunction becomes truly life shattering, 
we have the experience of ego death, where you no longer have a sense of your life. You no longer have a sense of your personality. You're only identified with this spiritual essence. And in effect, it would be very difficult for you to function in any way. So when people reach the stage of ego death, they're able to stay in the state of bliss and spiritual union, mystic union, but it's very difficult for them to carry out the activities of their daily life. I mean, they certainly could work at a complex job or, you know, handle all the issues that go along with raising children. And again, often what you see is you also see changes in the, in the structure of identity. So people can become very paranoid, feel the world is attacking them or other people are attacking them. They might become delusional. They might feel that they're these godlike beings and they can manifest whatever they want out of thin air and they don't have to work or do anything. So people become very delusional if they keep their attention in these altered states of consciousness. So the ego is the integration center of the conscious mind. And that basically is part of what keeps us functional is what you're saying, keeps us from from lapsing, from responsibility, from looking at the world as an illusion that really is not of concern. But is there an integration center at a higher state of mind that's perhaps more functional than what we experience as the ego, meaning we would experience functioning at a much higher level, more intelligence, more insight, the gifts of the spirit, the gifts of enlightenment. People talk about that term enlightenment. Well, enlightenment kind of sounds like you're operating at a higher level. So I assume that there's an integration center at a higher level that somehow makes things operate. Okay. Well, let's think about this for a moment. When you're identified and operating from the ego, you only have access to the abilities of your conscious mind. If you operate from the self, you additionally add the abilities of your metaconscious mind. When you connect with your soul or higher self, then you also add to that the abilities, the knowledge, the virtues that come out of your higher mind. So rather than trying to destroy the ego, instead, what we want to do is we want to prepare the personality to become an instrument of those gifts of the higher mind. Let me see if I can create an example. You are meant to be a gifted poet, but in the eighth grade, you're not very good with language. You go on in high school and you learn more about writing. You take some creative writing classes in college and you begin to experiment with writing poetry. And then your gift kicks in and then you become a channel of the soul. So there has to be some preparation at the level of the personality. If you have the insight in the higher mind about, you know, what you need to do to do brain surgery. Obviously, there's a lot of preparation that has to take place of you practicing on cadavers, you practicing on models, and then you know doing fine dissections and actually recognizing the parts before anyone is gonna let you do brain surgery on anyone. So 
there has to be a preparation of the personality to allow these gifts to express so that when you are able to express them, you have the language for it, you, you're using your intelligence, you're channeling this information in a structured way. If you channel information in an unstructured way, then a lot of people will think that you're completely crazy. So we develop the personality so we can begin to channel these things. If you are a tarot card reader, you learn to read the tarot cards. You learn to listen to the inner voice that tells you the meaning of the tarot cards. And you deliver it in a structured way. You do a particular reading. Same thing is true if you're an artist. You learn the different ways of using paint and applying it to a canvas. You learn that first, and then the soul can express its genius through you. That's the way that that works. It doesn't happen where all of a sudden you go in the higher mind and you start automatically doing some miraculous thing. There has to be a preparation first at the level of personality, so you have a conduit for expression. Well, you kind of made a case that certain types of spiritual practice can damage the functioning of the conscious mind. Yes, especially those that keep the attention locked in an altered state of consciousness. So when we train people in meditation, we say, I like to use the analogy that when you drive and you go to work, you don't stay at work, you come back home. Well, the same way when you go into meditation, you do whatever you're gonna do. You're gonna do your contemplation or maybe do some type of a transformational method, or you might do some working with some issues in your mind from that level. You do whatever you're gonna do, and then you come back to your waking state of consciousness. Just like when you go to work, you do whatever work you're gonna do, and then you come back home, come back home to your waking state of consciousness. As a note to listeners, I want to remind you that if you are interested in learning more about meditation and the topics discussed in the Mind the Owner's Manual podcast, please visit the website mindtheownersmanual.com for additional information, including articles, videos, and unpublished podcasts. Now back to the interview. I think more people would have the, be faced with the problem of how to leave the state of the, the you know the waking state of conscious, than get back to it. I think getting back to it, I think there's a natural gravity that pulls you back, and people complain about this when they're practicing meditation. You know, they're bothered by their thoughts, they're bothered by the details of their life that keep coming up in their mind. They're they're thinking about all the details of their life. You know, did I do this? Oh, I need to do that. Or they're fantasizing. So they're they're not traveling very far, even though they're meditating. Yes. Well, what I'm pointing to are those individuals who have successfully exited the conscious mind and they have been taught to focus on a particular essence in the superconscious mind, the wave of the present time, the called the moon solar Christ child, cosmic consciousness, the seed atom of a supercosmic path then they may do some practices at that level where you begin to create a state of imbalance where that that now becomes the focus of your 
life and your mind. You're only thinking about that. You're only thinking about making spiritual progress. And so something shifts so that you're no longer in this axis of soul, personality, ego, the aspect that operates in your actual life, your conscious life experience. You're focused now on that higher essence. And what happens if you continue that practice, if you continue those types of practices, your attention becomes fixed in that level. And so you're experiencing everything from that, what we call an altered state of consciousness. So for most people, if they've not meditated before, there is a challenge in you moving from the waking state of consciousness to get out of the conscious mind to move through the subconscious mind and the metaconscious mind and to move into the superconscious mind. Now, in our courses, we teach you specific methods to do that, but it take, there's a training process. You need to be able to monitor and then release, go to the next center. I like to, I like to say it's analogous to if you're in a glass elevator, you see everything around you. And as you move from floor to floor, you see the content that's on that floor, but you don't stay there. The elevator continues to rise until you reach your particular destination, which your, is your object for meditation. So if your object for meditation is I want to go and I want to meditate on the self at the core of the metaconscious mind, at the core of the personality, then I'm going to take my elevator up to that level. And as I'm going up, I'm going to monitor the content at each level, but I'm not going to just get completely absorbed in it and just kind of stay there and not reach my destination. I'm keeping my intention. I'm keeping my spiritual goal to focus on my object of meditation. So my objective as I'm meditating is I'm moving up through all these different levels till I reach whatever level that I want to do my contemplation or my spiritual work at. You've written, quote, the seed atoms of the conscious mind anchor the energy of the kundalini shakti in the ground state of awareness, in the body, which is the physical seed atom, in the emotional field, which is the emotional seed atom, in the mental field, which is the mental seed atom, and in the ego, which is the egoic seed atom, end quote. Can you explain what a seed atom is and how it functions? A seed atom is the place that demarks the area that you have turned into enlightened consciousness and the area that is unconscious. The seed atom is a center through which an integrating center can operate through that vehicle of consciousness. We also see that that seed atom, when you move along the thread of consciousness, when you lock into that focal point, you're actually contemplating that seed atom. So it is a center that essentially influences the activity and the integrity of each level of the mind. So it's a place from which your integrating center can operate in that level. So let's use an example. There's a seed atom within your sensory center and you have lost your hairbrush. You recognize that at the level of the ego, you say, well, I got to comb my hair. I got to go to work. I got to find my hairbrush. 
So from the level of the ego, you're giving a suggestion to your sensory center. Find an object that looks like a hairbrush. Do a scan and look for it. And you look and you find the hairbrush and then you brush your hair. So you can give suggestion through this. And again, it is the point through which the activity of the vehicle is, is focalized. So let me give you another example. There's a seed atom in your physical body. Through that seed atom, your integrating center can say, okay, you're really agitated right now. You're really under stress. I want you to sit and relax. And you give a suggestion for your body to relax and the body, the muscles of the body begin to let go of their tension. You begin to slow your breathing. And then as you do that, the other indicia, the other indicators of stress begin to lower in the body. So you give suggestion to these centers. You can, and so when we meditate, we also are focusing on that seat out. I like to use the example to say that we can do what we call a dimensional shift in meditation. So the very first aspect, the first dimension is when you become aware of that your attention is following this thread of consciousness and you're locking into a point. Then as maybe as you begin to breathe into this, you begin to contemplate, you start to become aware of the content. So you're focusing on the seat atom in your physical body, this body awareness center of the conscious mind. And suddenly you start becoming aware of different sensations that are happening in your body. Maybe you feel some tension in a muscle or you feel some pain in your, in your lower back. And you're just getting kind of random impressions. As you go deeper and you shift into third dimension, you become aware that this is actually a shell of energy, that there's actually a form that is associated with this. This form has different functions within it. As you shift into the fourth dimension, you become aware of the actual present time experience what's going on inside that vehicle of consciousness. So you're actually aware at each moment what's arising in the present time. This is where the Vipassana kicks in this fourth dimension. The fifth dimension is when you become aware of the integrating center that operates through that. Imagine a, the hub of a wheel. The hub of the wheel in the conscious mind goes out to your waking state of consciousness and to your movement your body position and movement awareness center to your sensory center. The hub goes out to your deep body awareness center. The hub goes out to your feeling center, your mental center. And it's all integrated in that integration center, that personal integration center we call the ego. And the same thing is true at higher orders. You become aware in that fifth dimension of what it is that stands behind this and that's operating it. Who's the operator of this? And then when you reach the sixth dimension, you can actually look at these things from a detached viewpoint. So from the standpoint of your attentional principle, you can look at yourself or you can look at your ego. You can examine it as if you were looking at a phenomena. So the conscious mind is, is a vehicle of consciousness? The conscious mind is a field of 
awareness and activity that contains multiple vehicles of consciousness, multiple forms through which you are operating. So for example, you have a form that represents your waking state of consciousness, a form which represents your sensory center, a form that represents your deep body awareness. And these forms, when you shift the dimensional viewing of your attention, you can become aware of these forms. You can actually study, okay, well, what actually happens within this form? What, what is the nature of the material that lies in the unawakened aspect of this form we call the unconscious mind? So you can actively become aware of its activity, of its structure. That's that third dimension. So you might say that the conscious mind is a container for all of these vehicles of consciousness that make up the functioning, the global functioning of the conscious mind. And what's the relationship of a seed atom to a form? Well, the seed atom is the center that dwells within it. So let's say, let's imagine that this form of, that we experience when we shift into this third dimensional focus, let's say we're meditating on the feeling center of the conscious mind. From one perspective, we're seeing that there's a thread of consciousness that comes to that seed atom. And when attention rests there, that's where it is contemplating what we call a focal point. So this seed atom is operating through this conscious, awakened, cleared section of that form. So we say there's a conscious, clear section, and then there's a darkened, unawakened section that contains the material in our unconscious mind. It's also through this center that you're able to activate whatever abilities that you've gained within that vehicle. So if we're meditating on the seed atom of the deep body awareness center, you're going to notice that from this state of development, you're aware of certain anatomical areas of your body. Theoretically, you could even give suggestion to them from this seed atom. So it is the principle that both delineates the awakened portion of a vehicle from the unconscious portion. It is the focal point for meditation where you're able to actually monitor what's in this vehicle of consciousness. And it's also the center through which your integration center is able to activate the different faculties that exist within it to give suggestion, as it were, for these levels. Now, you've also identified levels of consciousness below the conscious mind, which refer to as the infraconscious. And you identify an interesting series of states of consciousness below the conscious mind. So I'd like to go through these one by one. The first state of consciousness below the conscious mind you call the hypnotic dream state of consciousness. Then you have the dreaming state of consciousness, which is where rapid eye movement occurs. The sound sleep state of consciousness. The coma state of consciousness. The doorway to death. The connection to the animal kingdom. The connection to the plant kingdom. The connection to the mineral kingdom. And finally, you have the wheel of time, which is a mirror of the development of your cutting edge and souling entity. 
How would you characterize infra-consciousness? Is this the foundation that the conscious mind rests on? Well, the way I would describe it is these are alternate states of consciousness that people experience. So most people are familiar with this hypnotic dream state. When you take a nap, for example, you're not going into deep dreaming. You're just kind of relaxing. Your senses are withdrawing. Your body is becoming energized as you recharge. And uh, so you wake up from that and you're more energized. You're not quite so tired. It's not particularly a profound state of sleep. You can be readily aroused from it. Now, when you go into dreaming state, what we call the rapid eye movement or the deeper state of dreaming, this is where you actually begin to travel. We say the attention is absorbed in the astral body. Your eyes are closed, but you're seeing through your astral eyes. You're hearing through your astral ears. And you move to some level of the mind. You might travel to some earlier stage of life. You might move to some scenario. That's somewhere on the astral plane where you're having interaction with a series of characters. You might move to a particular place where you go to like what they call a school on the inner plane. And you might have instruction at that level from an advanced disciple of your tradition or maybe even the spiritual master or initiate of that tradition. At the next level, you're not, you reach a stage where a You're not receiving any input from any level of the mind. And so you move into the state of unconsciousness. In this level, we're really in touch with what we call the causal body. And the action of the causal body is to fix your day's experiences into long-term memory to help you process whatever went on during the day and help you clear that and to you know, bring everything back to a state of harmony and homeostasis to the degree that that's possible. And so you're not aware of anything. Your attention is completely absorbed in a very deep state of the unconscious mind. So you're really not aware of any content. And then when we move below that, talk about the coma state. And in this state, your life energy is withdrawn just into the we call the brainstem, the basic neurological structures that keep the body alive. You can't move, your senses are not operating, you can't think. And typically what happens is individuals report when they're in a coma, they actually travel to some inner dimension and they have some type of experience at that level. But for us observing their body from the outside, it looks like they're at the They're basically clinging to life. They're just, their vegetative functions are still operating, but there's no active consciousness operating. And then the doorway of death, and when an individual dies, all the energy is shunted out of these other states of consciousness and it's drawn up into the soul. And the soul withdraws its energy from its different vehicles of consciousness, of the conscious, subconscious, metaconscious mind, And it basically switches that off and then it moves into its core state that existed before you were born. And then when the soul reincarnates, it 
turns on the switch again and to connect you with a new body, a new personality. And you construct a new, a new life, a new personality, a new instrument of expression in a new incarnation. Now, when we go below that, we find that there is an opening or a channel that connects us with the animal kingdom, with the plant kingdom, with the mineral kingdom. Now, our consciousness normally doesn't go down to that level. Our attention doesn't go down to that level, but we're aware of that. And let's say that you were in an animal form, you would your attention would be in that animal body, that animal structure of consciousness. And you would look at your inner horizon and you would see this center that dwells in the human form. So when you're in the human form, you can look at that from, you can look at the entire kingdom from without. You can have a sense of affinity for the animals, for the plants, for the minerals. We all experience that. Now the center, the lowest center, the wheel of time center, essentially tunes up as you evolve spiritually. And again, our attention typically doesn't drop below the solar plexus center, which is the sound sleep state. And in very, I want to say in a state of coma, it might go down to the navel center. Of course, when we die, tension is simply drawn out and you're taken up into the spiritual dimensions where your soul dwells. Most of us don't experience coma mercifully. People will experience death of this particular life at some point. And then you will renew the process if that is necessary for you. You take a new incarnation. When I read this material, it kind of gave me the impression that the attention is kind of like mercury in a thermometer. And it can go up or it can go down. And right now we're talking about basically the lowest states that the mercury or the attention can drop. Is that kind of a, a fair analogy? Yeah, well, I guess I probably wouldn't use the analogy of mercury, but I would say that this focus of your mind is in a different state when you're in the waking state of consciousness than when you're in a hypnotic dream state. It moves and you're focused on something else. When you're dreaming, you relax yourself and you're going into this much deeper state where you're completely absorbed in the phenomena of, of whatever you're experiencing through your astral body. Sound sleep state, you're going into this state of uh, deep unconsciousness. Now, I wanted to point out that as a counterpoint to this attentional focus dropping down, in meditation, that attentional focus goes beyond the waking state and it rises up. And when it unites with your attentional principle, you have the experience of waking up within and realizing this state of union with the attentional principle when you are awake as the attentional principle, that this state of consciousness is continuous. Whether your attention is in the waking state, whether you're in hypnotic dreaming, whether you're in rapid eye movement dreaming, whether you're in sound sleep, whether you're in coma, this state of consciousness is stable through all the different stages of movement of the attention. And this is the 
state that the yogis refer to as Turaya. Turaya means that you are eternally awake within. So in meditation, we reach a state which transcends these stages of waking, dreaming, sound sleep, consciousness. We reach a state which is always awake. No matter what state your body is in. That's correct. What it, what, so, you know, you might be actually, if you're united with the attentional principle, and let's say that you're sleeping, you know, your body is relaxing, it's recharging, you know, this process of the causal body, integrating your, your day's experiences, your memories, that's all taking place. But you're not, but your attention is not completely absorbed in that process. Instead, your attention is united with the attentional principle itself. So I think a lot of people associate dreaming with the subconscious mind. But here you're, I think, suggesting that the subconscious is not directly tied to this state of consciousness. Okay, well, what happens when you're dreaming? You're traveling in your astral body. And so you may journey in your astral body through this zone of the, what we call the temporal mnemonic zone of the mind. And so you're traveling back to some earlier time in your life. You know, maybe you're remembering when you were a little child and you went to a carousel and you were riding the horses and you were at this amusement park and you got up on the uh, Ferris wheel and it took you way up above and you saw all the stuff that you saw. And maybe you were with somebody that you was a dear friend or something that you really liked at that time. And maybe you met different characters in the in that particular realm. Your astral body is traveling to that level of the mind and you're doing some type of dream construction at that level. And it can migrate to other levels as well. You can go to levels on the astral plane where you're actually in a whole other scenario. The dreaming state of consciousness specifically, is that connected to or not connected to the subconscious mind? Okay. You are journeying, so when you go, your attention goes down to that center, your attention is being absorbed in your astral body. And then the astral body is moving. And typically the astral body will move through certain levels of the subconscious mind. So you are quite accurate in saying that, yes, attention goes into the subconscious mind. But, be, but for you to do that, Typically, you have to go through this process of going to sleep where you bring your attention down to the level where you can access this doorway to the subconscious mind. If you come down to this infraconscious level and then you're absorbed in the astral body, the astral body will move and you go to some level of the subconscious mind. And typically, then you might go up into the superconscious mind when you have you know very deep dreams and you're processing something at some very deep level of the mind. I th kind of thought the infraconscious was below, but maybe I'm trying to make this too linear. And because a lot of times when we're talking about one area, all of a sudden a higher area gets associated with it, but then that's just my perception that subconscious, that metaconscious is higher than conscious mind, basically, that superconscious mind is higher than subconscious mind, etc. 
So should I be looking at the infraconscious as the lowest state of consciousness? The infraconscious is the area below our waking state of consciousness. And in that, there are a variety of portals to different types of experience. Just as when you go above the waking state of consciousness, you are getting a glimpse of different levels of your mind, different vehicles of consciousness, different seed atoms. So we're describing it from the standpoint of what is the phenomena that occurs when that center becomes active. And so you're dropping down from the waking state of consciousness. You're rising up in a state of meditation. I mean, there's not a lot of metaphors. I mean, examples in life where we think in terms of linear terms, like grade school precedes, middle school precedes, high school precedes, college precedes, graduate school. You know, we think in term in linear terms about a lot of things, but, and I think a lot of people think of it in terms of spiritual evolution, that there's a an experience where you become more and more and and better and pure and more virtuous and smarter and more knowledgeable and ultimately more enlightened, you know. So it's kind of like a it's a linear experience. But consciousness, even though you have it written out in sections, it doesn't seem like it's linear. It's like the monkey you know, to the gorilla, to the Neanderthal, to the homeostasis, you know, it's not necessarily linear. Okay. I think maybe it'd be useful to think of these stages of the infraconscious mind as being portals to a particular type of experience. So everyone is familiar with taking a nap and you just relax, you know, you're still semi-conscious of maybe what's going around you, but you're relaxed and you feel you're kind of just recharging yourself. When you go into dream state, it's a portal to what we call the, the state of the astral body, which dwells effectively in the subconscious mind. So you're making that transition to the astral body, and then you're moving through some band of the mind connected with that astral vision that astral hearing, that astral sensation, which gives you the experience of dreaming. So your eyes are closed. You're not seeing any physical object, but you're seeing some object within. That's your astral vision working. And so when you're in that dreaming state, your attention moves into the astral body. And then depending on how deeply you're immersed in that experience, depends on the level that you're experiencing through your astral senses, through your astral sense of movement. Most people talk about having a flying dream. Obviously, your body is not flying. What is flying? Well, the astral body is not tied to the physical body. It can fly. And so, depending on the level to which the astral body separates from its alignment with the physical, to that degree, you're going to have that greater depth of dreaming experience. So the withdrawal may be simply into the temporal mnemonic zone, in which case you're going to relive a life memory and maybe elaborate it in some way through the dream work. Or you might go to some deeper level where you're having a remembrance of a past life. Or maybe you're going to some deeper level 
and you're traveling to some dimensional world on the astral plane where you have some very fantastic experiences. The reason that this doesn't seem a linear process is mainly because we're not viewing it from the standpoint of the attention moving either below the waking state of consciousness or rising up in the conscious mind to the subconscious mind, to the metaconscious mind, into the superconscious mind. So that is a linear process. So each deeper center reveals another aspect of our mind. Imagine a diff you're going to a different level and you're finding a different module of your mind working. So we can say that those modules are above this waking state of consciousness, along the thread of consciousness, or we can say that these modules are below and we have a certain form of experience that we have as our attention moves into those modules below the waking state of consciousness or the modules above the waking state of consciousness. This is Lawrence Castilla. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Mind the Owner's Manual, a podcast series where I try to bring you in-depth discussion on meditation and consciousness. Please visit my website, mindtheownersmanual.com, and join the free member area to access additional tools and recordings on these topics. Have you wanted to learn how to meditate but weren't sure where to begin? Are your current meditations unfocused, repetitive, or boring? Are they not giving you the results that you want? People choose to learn to meditate for a variety of reasons. To have a higher frequency of peak performance and flow state experiences. For improved ability to relax the body and relieve stress. To have a richer, more vivid dream life and sounder sleep for enhanced clarity and mental concentration, to deepen the connection to their spirit, for stronger willpower and greater ability to control behavior and habits, to develop intuitive and psychic gifts, for better appreciation of religious teachings and living essential truths and values, to have mystic experiences with angels, spiritual guides, and God, for deeper insight and self-knowledge culminating in enlightenment and for direct experience of the spirit and the soul. If who we really are and the potential we possess lies within, how do we access these parts of our being? I would like to share with you the most comprehensive Introduction to Meditation course available. The Introduction to Meditation course is not a basic meditation course. This course is designed to train your inner concentration and give you powerful inner landmarks so you can travel within in an oriented and directed manner. 
you will learn the fundamentals of meditation as the Introduction to Meditation course takes you step by step through the levels of your mind. You will learn to recognize the structures within your mind which will enable you to enhance your ability to control and focus your attention. You will explore each of the levels of the conscious, subconscious, and metaconscious mind. You will learn how to contact your soul and how to get guidance from your soul. You will gain a far greater scope of what meditation is and you will increase the depth of experience that meditation offers. To learn more about this course, please visit mindtheownersmanual.com.